Hi there. Thanks for listening to Robert Fain's Hegel podcast, Studying Hegel for Life, Studying the Philosophy of Right. Welcome. Okay, hi everybody. I hope you're doing well in your studies and in your personal life. Um, I hope you have before you a copy of the German and or the English version of the Encyclopedia, Second Department A, Das Recht, The Right. We're studying um, Section C, Right Against Injustice. And we're going to take a look now at paragraph 501, which I would call the character of punishment. In the previous uh, paragraph, we found the necessity of punishment. Punishment is the only way to restore um, both the particular interest that is violated and to restore right in itself that is violated. Now, um, right has to become the uh, the permanent uh, thing here and um, the injustice of theft um, must become exposed as uh, something that is non-existent. In a way, it has to become non-existent in reality by whatever is going to happen now <clears throat> in the punishment um, that restores the original situation and also exposes an act as injustice. Now, let's take a look at paragraph 501. I'm going to read to you the German and translate it and you might follow that with um, your own uh, translation. I must say that I'm a bit disappointed in the uh, various translations that are here. Um, they give you the gist of it, they give you the essence of Hegel's text, but you sort of lose the um, very specific way in which Hegel develops this, so his thought process is not as clear in the translation as it is in the German text. Let's, um, however, just go into paragraph 501, and we read a very long uh, sentence uh, here, a very, very long sentence. Das sich geltend machen des Rechts an sich ist vermittelt, erstens, dadurch, dass ein besonderer Wille der Richter dem Rechte angemessen ist, und gegen das Verbrechen sich zu richten, das Interesse hat, was zunächst in der Rache zu fällig ist. Let me just stop here to elucidate this first point. So, this um, geltend machen, um, this, um, let's say, um, demonstrating and... Uh, expositing the validity of right in itself, uh, this restoration of right in itself, is determined, first of all, uh, by this particular will that now becomes involved, this third party, third party that um, uh, is completely without interest, uh, remember the final sentence of paragraph 500. Uh, what we need is a third judgment that has no interest 
uh, and that is the punishment. And now we see that this punishment has to be executed by a judge. Now, it doesn't say here that we need a judge uh, in the way that we find it in our legal system, but there has to be something like a, um, a someone who uh, actually performs this third impartial judgment. So he's not saying yet that we need a specific class of lawyers that is doing um, this particular action of sitting in just sitting in um, in judgment upon the thief, etc. But we need a particular will, who we usually call the judge, who is completely in conformity with the the, the law with the right precisely because he has no particular interest in it. Uh, a judge will be paid no matter what his judgment is. Um, if he is um, in favor of the plaintiff, he will be paid. If he is against the plaintiff, he will also be paid. So he has no particular interest in the thing he is adjudicating. Now, the only interest that he has is a universal interest, and that is to... Um, make a judgment against the violation of right. That is his job, and that is the universal interest that he is serving. In revenge, this um, direction against, this aiming at the violation in order to change it, in order to negate it, that is something that is coincidental in revenge. Revenge is about the restoration of my particular interest getting my stuff back. But there is no reference within revenge to the restoration of right in itself. So the opposite of revenge is adjudication. Uh, revenge restores the particular interest. Adjudication uh, ideally does both. It addresses the violation of right in itself and it addresses the violation of the particular interest of the victim. Let's move on then to the second part of this sentence. Und zweitens, durch die zunächst gleichfalls zufällige Macht der Ausführung, die durch den Verbrecher gesetzte Degation des Rechts zu negieren. So secondly, what we need is a power of execution. We need a, an executive power, which is... Um, well, coincidental at first, we have no clue whatsoever uh, how that power of execution is organized and what its position is within society, but there has to be something like a power of enforcing the legal judgment. Um, there has to be su such a power, otherwise the negation of the right cannot itself become negated. Remember that the thief used seizure, used coercion, used force in order to perform his theft. He had to seize it from my possession, had to break into my house and take something away. Obviously, that can only be uh, restored if we have the power, now the legal power, to enter into his house and take the stolen object back by force. Or as we will see later on, uh, if we have the power to take him into custody and to um, give him a jail sentence. 
as a means of punishing him for the violation of the right. Let's move on. Diese negation des rechts had him willen des verbrechers ihre existens. So this negation of the right uh, has its existence not in reality. Let's say the fact that my that the object that is stolen from me is now in the house of the thief. That's not the existence. It has nothing to do with the existence of right. It's not rightfully there. So the negation of the right in itself only exists in the will of the thief as long as he wants to keep that stolen object into his possession. It remains in his possession without ever becoming his property. Remember the difference between holding on to something which is property and to rightfully holding on to something um, by means of the recognition of others. Um, by means of the conformity between that state of affairs with the rule of law, um, which makes me an owner. Let's move on. The revenge or the punishment is direct... No, let's first read the German. Die Rache oder Strafe wendet sich daher erstens an die Person oder das Eigentum des Verbrechers, Zweitens und übt Zwang gegen denselben aus. <clears throat> so, um, what is common to both the revenge and the punishment, that we are not simply in, involved in taking back the possession, um, but we are uh, interested in doing something to the person or the property of um, the uh, the thief. Um, why is he saying this? Because we said before that the rache, the uh, revenge, is only aimed at restoring the private interest of the victim. Um, but, of course, you can only do that by violating his uh, or her freedom by entering into the house and taking it back using force. So it's also... Um, it's both directed to the person and its property. Um, you might simply take something back without using coercion. It's possible. And you might punish a person without uh, forcing him to take something back. For instance, when somebody... Uh, let's go... <laughs> that's the um, the example I, I try to... Uh, try to use uh, to its utmost limit... But let's say somebody um, grabbed your cup of coffee and drank it. So that's a violation of your property. It's a theft. But there is no option in getting that property back. And we would have to discuss um, something else, a fine, or has to pay me another cup of coffee, um, or even um, pay me more money than... um, I actually lost in that cup of coffee. So, um, revenge and punishment is directed to the person or and or, I would argue, the property of the thief, of the violator. Secondly, it exercises coercion against him. Obviously, obviously that coercion is necessary in order to bring about a situation, a situation in reality, 
in which property is restored and punishment is executed. We need coercion because definitely the free will of the thief will reject it, will uh, argue against it. We'll move on. Next sentence. Der Zwang findet in dieser Sphäre des Rechts überhaupt schon gegen die Sache in der Ergreifung und in Behauptung derselben gegen die Ergreifung eines anderen statt. Da in dieser Sphäre der Wille sein Dasein unmittelbar in einer äußerlichen Sache als solche oder der Leiblichkeit hat und an dieser nur ergriffen werden kann. Long sentence, difficult sentence. Coercion, um, coercion uh, takes place, uh, is happening, um, is a possibility, um, because it, or it's already there in coercion uh, against the thing itself, the property there for itself. Um, the thief, after all, has seized it and maintained it against the seizure of others. So the thief takes the cup of coffee and he shields it away from others and prevents me from taking it back immediately and drinks up the cup and uh, my coffee is gone. Um, so theft is a crime that involves coercion or seizure or violence. The violation is always a violence against the thing. <coughs> Taking the thing away from the place where I properly, where, I, where I've put it, uh, maintained it, etc. Now, that is because, Hegel explains, in this sphere, the will has its existence immediately in external objects as such. An äußerliche Sache. And that could be uh, a thing, or it could even be a corporeity. It could be a theft of a person, or a violation of somebody's um, uh, bodily existence. And it can be seized only um, if I take it away from your personal sphere of life, if I take it away from your body, you're, you're having this cup of coffee in your hand and I snatch it from you, um, which uh, implies that I violate your corporality. Um, let's move on. Mehr nicht als möglich, aber ist der Zwang. Mehr nicht als möglich, aber ist der Zwang. So, this coercion is not more than just a possibility. Um, insofern ich mich als frei aus jeder Existenz, ja, aus dem Umfang derselben, den Leben herausziehen kann. Uh, so this force um, has its limitations because I'm able to withdraw myself from every existence, uh, even from the existence uh, of my life it, itself. Uh, more than possible, uh, this coercion is not so long as I can withdraw myself as free from every mode of existence, even from the range of all existence, uh, i.e. from life, it is legal only as abolishing a first and original compulsion. Rechtlich ist er nur als das Aufheben eines ersten unmittelbaren uh, Zwangens. So, the reality of this coercion 
is only a possibility as a means of restoring and replacing the first immediate coercion uh, of the theft. So um, let's uh, talk about coffee again. Let's say there are three of us, uh, A, B, and C. And A has just bought a cup of coffee. And now B comes along and snatches it from his hand and drinks it. Now what we need is a third party, C, who doesn't know us, has no interest in the coffee, uh, is sitting there, and he is to be our judge. Now, the only way he can be our judge is uh, if he's a very big person um, who is able to uh, uh, um, put B into custody, take B into custody, and force him to pay for my cup of coffee. Uh, he might just do that by uh, taking away his wallet, taking out the money that is required here, and even exacting a fine, he might argue. Uh, you, you only have a $5 bill, and the coffee is worth $2, uh, but you give him the $5, and the $3 is like a fine. Now, this third judgment involves positing what is right, arguing speaking out loudly, saying in public that B has stolen this cup of coffee from A, which restores the right in that sense. Um, and secondly, um, doing something, using force, to change the situation. Now, obviously that cannot be uh, giving back the cup of coffee, but it can be um, to give this financial compensation um, and thereby also punishing B. He's ashamed in public. He pays more than he uh, has just uh, stolen. And that is how um, that force is uh, uh, justified. Now, take a look at another situation. We have again A, B, and C. And B takes a cup of coffee from my hand because I've just given it to him. C... Um, thinks that B has just stolen the cup of coffee from me. And he might act then on that basis and uh, force B to pay for the coffee and take out his wallet and take out a $5 bill, etc. Uh, uh, et now, obviously, then the coercion that is executed by C is not a restoration of an injustice, or, sorry, a restoration of a right and a remedy for an injustice, but it's itself a form of force. It's itself actually a theft. So we can have the semblance or the appearance of a restoration of right, which actually is itself uh, an unlawful uh, coercion. So that is paragraph 501, the character of punishment. Let's uh, summarize the main points here. The character of punishment. There are two requirements. First, what is required is an impartial will, a dis disinterested will, something like a judge, an arbitrator, who will decide according to right in itself against the violation of right. That's his purpose. That's his job. But secondly, what is also required in that judge is a power of execution. 
een ausführung. Because what is required is an actual negation of the very real negation of right. Injustice needs to be shown to be violated, but it also needs to be remedied. It needs to be uh, restored. There needs to, needs to be a restoration of right. Now, the negation of right does not exist in reality alone. Uh, if it only exists in reality, if a theft is only something in reality, we could ju just give the stolen object back. And then the interest of the victim would be served. But the negation of right, Hegel argues, and that's a very important point, exists not in reality alone, but it exists in the will of the perpetrator. And that means that we need to do something against the perpetrator, not just something with the stolen object. And that leads to two further remarks Hegel makes. First, punishment has to be exacted on the, per on the person of the perpetrator or his possessions. That means he needs to pay a fine, restore the object, but maybe also get a jail sentence. Secondly, against this person or his property, there must be force applied to overcome his resistance. So we need something within our society that can act as a legal instrument of coercion that is only directed at, um, at the original coercion by which a property was stolen. That is also a, an act of coercion or violence. So this violence has, has to be totally commensurate with the violence that was uh, used in the theft. Now, the will in this sphere is only connected to an external object on the thing, but now the will of the judge becomes connected to the will of the perpetrator itself. He has to be forced to give up freedom for a while or to give up um, at least the stolen object and even has to pay a fine. Now, that is not wrong because this force is already at work in the seizure of a property. It has already been applied by the thief, so this is not a new uh, element. Remember, however, that coercion remains connected to the seizure of a thing and nothing more. That implies that all punishment needs to be commensurate to the actual act that it is punishing. And that is... Uh, the um, uh, limit also of punishment and we will see in the next paragraph that we will discuss paragraph 502 which I've called the concept of morality paragraph 502 we'll discuss the limitation the limitation of punishment as a means of restoring uh, uh, right in itself Thanks for listening, hope you're doing well in your studies and hope to see you next time.